for the way she was. Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers before that. We heard a slightly unintentionally abridged version of Sincerely Diana from the album A Night in Tunisia. And we started off the hour with Sonny Rollins, uh, Night in Tunisia, with his trio uh, live at the Village Vanguard. That brings us right up to date, so we are going to cruise on out of here in just a couple short seconds and ease it on over to Grey Matters. So, Grey Matters, here you go. Five, four, three, two, one. Well, uh, good evening. It's about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And uh, summer is finally here. <laughs> Ooh, with a vengeance. I'd crack a joke about Ashley Madison at this point, but... Uh, Rest assured, here in Ann Arbor, at the corner of Ashley and Madison, is one of our great institutions of Ann Arbor, the Washtenaw Dairy. Oh, there you go. Don't hesitate to mention the place, because they're <laughs> one of the uh, all-time great supporters of this Very fine, true. fine radio station during a fundraiser. And I bet tonight they're going to have a line out the door. Those ice cream cones are very popular in the Old West Side, so do not be confused about... The corner of Ashley Madison and the website that got hacked last week. Oh, yes. It's almost amusing. 37 million people seem to have accounts there. So we'll give out a brain damage award for a website devoted to spouses that wish wish to conduct extramarital affairs online. Well, I mean, that's just the naivete with which people enter into such a arrangement yeah i mean uh what did people do back in the early 1900s if they wanted to have an affair i i scarcely can bring myself to wonder uh well that's where uh, as, as charles dickens uh, famously had a a rendezvous spot indeed. around the corner from his wife so uh how utterly amusing and not terribly surprising these yeah. these uh, sort of massive hacks keep continuing uh, week after week. Either big corporations, a couple of weeks ago the U.S. government, uh, cyber security, a growing field of concern for the unfaithful. <laughs> and, of course, the humorous thing about this whole uh, event, where is this? Silly article that I cut out, in which I have underneath a ha-ha. <laughs> Ashley Madison, a website for strange spouses, is hit by an online attack. It says that the group of hackers behind the attack, going by the name Impact Team, said that they had stolen information on 37 million members of Ashley Madison... And to prevent the data from being released, the hackers said that the company needed to shut down the site entirely. Gee, uh, sounds a little bit like Christian fundamentalism. It's a very strange uh, kidnapping demand, so to speak. Well, the impact name itself, I don't know if uh, many listeners will remember these uh, sort of religious-based Twilight Zone-inspired uh, short films that were 
often shown in Catholic high schools and perhaps other religious institutions that I had the uh, good fortune to see and occasionally be amused uh, at, but normally just chuckle at, uh, called Impact. Impact. And they were stories with a twist that had this sort of Twilight Zone uh, spin at the end that, oh, well, it was Christ our Lord who allowed this thing to happen, to save this guy or whatever. So um, then this sounds a little bit like a sort of a fundamentalist hacking team. Yeah. I, mean, I certainly it's... don't uh, condone the behavior of people who would engage in such a ridiculous website, but... Uh, who else would get their knickers in such a twist over it? Right, and who would have an account? <laughs> That's amazing. So we'll give out a brain damage award to 37 million strange spouses. Um, probably... Uh, you wonder, one, uh, just one yeah. last quick joke. Sure. Out of the 37 million, how many uh, constituted couples uh, in which both partners were actively seeking... Right. I'd be curious to see that one. Str strikes me that maybe the uh, the hackers are involved in marriage counseling or <laughs> uh, there's been a there's been a recent uh report Taj of uh, a lot of lawyers losing business. So maybe it's divorce lawyers. <laughs> well, then there's the weird uh Hillary uh Clinton uh crime investigation scandal story in the Times that turns out to be oh, it's not really an investigation of that nature at all. Oops, we ran that story anyway. Oh, right. The old uh, preliminary criminal investigation over documents that may or may not have been, quote unquote, uh, classified. Uh, it's well established that the government overclassifies documents. Some of these documents might have even been classified after the attack, after, after the fact, I should say. <laughs> attack, I keep thinking of the website attack. And, of course, I was going to use that segue to get into maybe the biggest story of the week. The uh, And I'll give Eisel a brain damage award for uh, attacking inside Turkey's borders. Uh, this is uh, a remarkable turn of events. I do not believe it's a, quote, game changer, as some uh, people have claimed. But uh, Turkey has responded with airstrikes directed at both Eisel and ISIS, whatever you want to call them. And the PKK. Um, and there's all sorts of, uh, shall we say, changing sand formations going on in uh, the area known as northern Syria and uh, northwestern Iraq. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the response is to Assad's new assertions that I'm outgunned. Yeah. Underarmed. Uh, Syria at one time probably the second strongest army in the region after Israel's. Yeah, and it's interesting that Turkey would issue a a declaration that uh, that they've ruled out ground forces. So um, we'll see if that remains uh, in effect. But uh, we'll give a brain damage award out to ISIL for even attacking within Turkey's borders. It strikes me as a uh, not a very good career move. And by the way, I wanted to recommend an article <clears throat> that I read in a recent edition of the London Review of Books, the July 16th edition. Uh, you can get that online, by the way, I think, if you wish, lrb.uk. 
uh, by Hugh Roberts, who turns out to be a uh, history professor, has some sort of titular chair at Tufts University on Northern African Middle Eastern history, because I think it gives an outstanding analysis of the very confusing and ever-changing situation going on in Iraq, as well as some very relevant history about what's really going on. He's reviewing several books here, including one by Patrick Coburn, The Rise of the Islamic State, ISIS and the New Sunni Revolution. Patrick Coburn writes frequently on Middle East events in the London Review of Book books, and I believe was a much younger brother of Alexander. Indeed, yeah, and has lived in the region for a number of years. So. Yeah, he's sort of like a younger version of, uh, oh, and I'm drawing a blank on his on his name. Right Alexander. Now. Well, he, he's certainly a younger version of Alexander to some degree. Not quite as witty. Alexander Coburn, of course, recently passed away. I'll think of his name in a second. It's a famous British Middle Eastern journalist. Oh, who, Fisk. Yes, Robert, Robert Fisk. Fisk. Uh, <coughs> wrote one of the great books on the history of the Lebanese Civil War. Mm. Uh, Pity the Sorrow. Pity so, the Nation. Pity the Nation. Pity the Nation. Anyway, uh, I, I highly recommend this uh, rather lengthy article in the London Review of Books. Uh, one of the more interesting revelations, I won't go into some of the history... But uh, he talks a little bit about the broad idea of the Arab Spring and how, of course, uh, this has turned out to be a disaster for so many countries in the region. Noting, by the way, that uh, in, in, in uh, Syria alone, there's well over 200,000 dead, many of them children, 4 million refugees in Iraq, Jordan, Lebanon, and Turkey, 7 million people internally displaced and many towns largely destroyed. Of course, the war goes on pretty much on a daily basis. But in reviewing another book by Jean-Pierre Filou, teaches science, who teaches at Sciences Po in Paris after a career in uh, the French diplomatic corps, which included tours of duty uh, in Jordan, Syria, and Tunisia, argues in his new book, Deep State to Islamic State, that the Arab revolutionists, as he calls them, have been foiled, Tunisia apart, by successful counter-revolutions organized by the Deep State. In Syria, as in Egypt, and as, as in Yemen, the Deep State is the hard core of a regime that stronger resembles those of the Maliks in Egypt, and the Levant long ago. He then goes into the whole history of that. But I think one of the more interesting revelations in this article, which is quite lengthy, is a DIA document that was written, this is the DIA of the United States here, dated August 12th of 2012, was published by a conservative watchdog group, Judicial Watch, who probably uh, is filing freedom of information uh, attacks against Hillary Clinton as we speak, had managed to obtain uh, this document and other formerly classified documents through a federal lawsuit. I'm sure they're on the web at this point. 
wonders, uh, one wonders if Congress is going to investigate this. <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, but it says that the document not only anticipates the rise of the Islamic State, but seems to suggest it would be a desirable development from the point of view of the international coalition seeking regime change in Damascus. And, of course, this is at the heart of the dilemma involved with some of the regional powers. How interesting to see last week that Saudi Arabia, uh, wholly dependent on the United States for its uh, weapons of mass destruction. No doubt about that. They have oil revenue. We have armaments. Uh, it's always been a little murky where Saudi Arabia stands vis-a-vis -vis the United States, but they certainly buy weapons from us. Uh, they have come out publicly in support of the Iran deal, leaving Benjamin Netanyahu out on a limb, sawing away <laughs> where Mike Huckabee might, might have joined him recently. Uh, we'll give him a brain damage award. Never a good idea to make uh, strange comments linking the Iran deal to ovens and the Holocaust. But I guess Mike Huckabee's figuring, hey, Donald Trump's getting away with all kinds of outlandish statements. I, I need to get into the game. It's crazy season. It's the hot stretch. It's kind of the slow part of the news year. Say some crazy stuff. Right. Get on TV and sure. walk it back or defend it, whatever. Uh, and, of course, we'll hear plenty of scurrilous rhetoric about the Iran uh, nuclear deal for the next several weeks. I don't think Congress actually is going to hold real hearings on this for quite some time. Anyway, this DIA document is fascinating because uh, he quotes the key passage. <clears throat> 7B says, development of our current events into proxy war. Opposition forces are trying to control eastern areas adjacent to the western Iraqi provinces of Mosul and Anbar. By the way, Iraqi forces last night, according to the BBC, did gain control of part of Mosul. Apparently there was a counteroffensive by the Iraqi, uh, the actual Iraqi government forces against ISIL, and they've taken over the University of Mosul. Don't know whether they're going to be fielding a football team this uh, this fall, but uh, I think we're, I know where we can find them a cheerleader when they do. Who knows? But anyway, Western countries, I'm continuing here. The Gulf states and Turkey are supporting these efforts of proxy war. This hypothesis is most likely in accordance with data from recent events, which will help prepare safe havens under international sheltering, similar to what was uh, transpired in Libya when Benghazi was chosen as the command center of the temporary government. 8C, if the situation unravels, there is the possibility of establishing a declared or undeclared Salafist principality in eastern Syria. Hazaka or Del Zor, 
And this is exactly what the supporting powers to the opposition want in order to isolate the Syria Syrian regime. Of course, the interesting thing about the events last week involving Turkey is that there are many conspiracy theories that Turkey uh, is behind the creation of ISIS. It's kind of odd because they've been fighting one another. Other allegations are that it's somehow connected to the United States. The truth, of course, is that it seems to be a sort of an amalgamation of the remnants of al-Qaeda mm. and the Zarqawi outfits, as well as uh, former Saddam Hussein loyalists. But Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and um, the United States are definitely allied in wanting to overthrow Assad, though I believe the United States has probably realized that this, that ISIL is now more of a threat than Assad, that Syria is in such shambles, not much can be done. Of course, on the other side is Iran, supporters of Assad, as well as Russia. So it's a fascinating example of proxy warfare with very confusing factionalism and outcomes uncertain. But uh, it strikes me that uh, that this uh, terrorist attack inside Turkey's borders by ISIL uh, is a blunder uh, that they probably won't recover from. Well, Though they, certainly the warfare will continue for quite some time. <laughs> yeah, uh, for the foreseeable, unfortunately. But uh, I don't think anybody can conclusively, convincingly argue that this isn't all a result of the ill-founded war in Iraq that uh, the glorious leader, uh, Mr. W, brought upon us all. Yeah. And it's it, just continuation of all those little disturbances roiling away. And, of course, Assad at the time was, was certainly in favor of it. He probably didn't come out and say so, but I don't think there's been any real... Um, historical, I mean, there's been plenty of historical evidence that Assad's father and Saddam Hussein were rivals in the region, uh, both heads of Ba'ath parties in various parts of the old um, British and French mandates. And one of the reasons that this article is so outstanding, in my opinion, is it goes into the complicated story of how these countries were formed, mm. the disunity, the factionalism, the regionalism, whatever you want to call it, the tribalism, and why this is so complicated and why, it, in reality, it would be best off if the United States just stayed out of it. Absolutely. I mean, the, the borders as they exist were drawn up... <clears throat> By the hands of and at the convenience of uh, the Western powers who wanted states that were controllable for various reasons uh, and in various ways. The, the typical one being divide and conquer where you favor one uh, ethnic minority group within a now defined nation state 
and make them the uh, the business class. Um, that's the British model, uh, so successful all over the world and so detrimental to uh, human life. And one of the, of course, the great <clears throat> squabbles that the British and um, French had was over the province of Mosul. The British seemed to be well aware that it contained oil. The French may not have either cared or been as concerned about that. So they did hand Mosul over to the Br the British as part of the so-called British mandate, which basically is what we know of as Iraq and Jordan. But it's also interesting in this piece um, in which um, there's a revelation that Colonel Ralph Peters, he appears sometimes on uh, public television over the years, uh, of the United States War Academy, published in the Armed Forces Journal in June of 2006. It shows a new Middle East map, as imagined by Colonel Peters. This, of course, was the the goal of the Bush invasion of Iraq, if you'll recall, the neoconservatives thought this... They had it all sketched up. Yeah, they had a master plan. Dick Cheney, in his undisclosed location, was... Uh, it's going to pay for itself. Yeah, pay for itself. We'll be greeted as... Liberators. Liberators. They'll be throwing flowers. One can picture uh, Archie Bunker <laughs> in Kelly's Heroes. I don't know if you remember. Oh, right, right. <laughs> remember the quizzical look on Archie Bunker when he goes into the... The liberated French town, while well, uh, good old Clint Eastwood and his Nazi uh, friend <laughs> are heisting the gold. His temporary friend <laughs> were uh, blowing up the uh, the bank for the gold. Comical stuff, but uh, an element of truth, I'm sure. There did seem to be some missing gold. As a result of World War II. Anyway, and the Iraq War. And the Iraq. Quite frankly. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, of course, the, uh, the map drawn up by Colonel Peters shows the partition of Iraq, which, of course, has been openly discussed for, for many years as the uh, ultimate solution for this whole problem. They're going all the way back to the League of Nations, where President Woodrow Wilson proposed a homeland for the Kurds. Yeah. And Which obviously, would of constitute part of Iraq. Yeah, and obviously, with with Turkey attacking the PKK mm -hmm. this week as well, the Turks are not going to send ground forces in unless they believe that a Kurdistan is is eminent. But the de facto reality, of course, is that the Kurds in that part of the world these days, in terms of fighting ISIL, are really America's only functional ally. The rest of it is all sort of uh, mysterious alliances that change with the blowing sand of the Middle East. <laughs> so, stay tuned. Uh, uh, John McCain, I'm sure, is uh, drawing up a war plan as we speak. And Donald Trump is probably 
singing a song down in Laredo. <laughs> Looking for new elevator shafts to jump into. What next from the man? What next from the man? Well, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, summer's here. It's very hot out and more heat coming, of course. It's not too surprising. It is July. Yeah. Uh, it gets hot in the summertime. Uh, but uh, I'm always troubled when I see the vast numbers of people who are blasting themselves. I know I complain about this all the time, but blasting themselves with air conditioning in their cars. Uh, it only makes the outside hotter True. when you do that. And uh, a recent report uh, entitled State of the Climate 2014 uh, is just uh, getting some analysis now. And uh, these are some simple facts from a scientific study. Uh, this is on from counterpunch.org. Uh, and we've talked about this, of course, before. But these are recent reminders. Arctic sea surface temperatures are rising faster than overall global temperatures. Ice caps across North America continue to shrink. Record high permafrost temperatures in Alaska. They had a, one of the warmest winters on record mm -hmm. this last year. Uh, the Greenland ice cap continues to melt at an accelerating rate. We're looking at uh, within 100 to 200 years, uh, a potentially six meter increase in the ocean level. Yeah, and we saw earlier, by the way, that there was a massive heat wave in Pakistan. Uh, killed several thousand people. This was back several months ago in May, you know, when temperatures got up uh, in the area of 120 mm -hmm. degrees Fahrenheit. Um, no question that this is continuing. I, I heard a science report just a couple of days ago that the first half of 2015 is the warmest on record. Um, it's strange that uh, the area of America, known as Silicon Valley, is working on a driverless car when they're living in a waterless environment. <laughs> and I've heard repeatedly from engineers that the problem with the driverless car is that it doesn't work in snow. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll believe in the driverless car when I see the executives that are pursuing this project drive <laughs> in it. In a rainstorm in New Orleans, you know, one of those. Sure, at night. Three-inch jobs, or a snowstorm up at, uh, say, on I-75 in the winter here in the state of Michigan. Um, I hear about this driverless car stuff all the time. Uh, it's interesting. It probably does work in the middle of Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> but what what is really the great need for such a technology? I mean, isn't all the evidence in that uh, what we really need are more accessible uh, energy efficient, long-term renewable resource ready, mass transportation. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that the University of Michigan launched a high-speed trains a program last week with great fanfare, a simulated driverless car. But uh, the problem in America right now is there's already a lots of driverless cars out there. Yeah, they're called smartphone users. <laughs> yes, you got it. It's the person backing out of their driveway into busy traffic texting, and you're kind of going, wait a minute, you're backing out of a driveway, and you're not paying attention to what you're doing. Watch out. How reassuring to find out. By the way, and this, of course, is my sort of the Luddite in me, the continuing Luddite 
personality that I have, that a couple of weeks ago they did a study that showed that Americans are now spending three hours a day looking at their mobile screen. And that excludes the time that they actually spend talking on the phone. Uh, apparently phone addictions have become so uh, rampant that uh, you can now buy a no phone, a 12-piece, $12 piece of plastic that looks like a smartphone but actually does nothing. <laughs> uh, this courtesy of a uh, news analysis by Connor Doherty, a technology reporter in the New York Times from July 12th. So, so I guess uh, with the no phone, you can pretend like you're part of the continuum? <laughs> well, I guess it's for the attic. I don't know. You know, there's one. Oh, okay. Something to tool with while you're. Well, one of the things that's funny is, or troubling, is they were talking about how people are, are bringing cell phones into Broadway shows. Oh, yeah. And interrupting the opera or whatever, the performance going on stage, and that there have been some opera singers and Broadway performers that have been outraged, angry. Well, it is rude to, uh, you know, distract from the stage performance, the on-screen, you know, event uh, with your need to compulsively see who's liked your comment on Facebook. By the way, they have sold 3,200 of these snow phones. So, Wow. Somebody's got $35,000 in their pocket because yes. I'm sure the, the plastic alone, probably built in China, costs about two cents. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a seeker born every minute. That's called the markup of capitalism. Well, uh, thanks to Andrew for engineering once again this evening. Do stay tuned here on WCBN-FM and Arbor Yazoo City Calling. Coming up next. I suppose our youngsters would say cornball or square. And now, CBN Radio brings you... broadcast uh, uh, media can do. You give them a sense of flavor. It's all vegetable. It's digestible. It's delicious and nutritious. Life-size and ready to eat. It's made with real egg formula. And here's a nice-looking record package in from New York. I woke up this morning with WCBN. America's ace of the airways. This instrument is good for nothing but to entertain, amuse, and insulate. And we will soon see that the whole struggle is lost. And believing that radio has a responsibility to serve in the public interest at all times, we are turning over our facilities to the state militia at French. <laughs> Okay. 
WCBN FM. Ann Arbor. BN WCBN FM. WCBN FM. Ann Arbor. WCBN FM. Ann Arbor.